The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show. Well, today we're going to talk to a fabulous author of a, a historical novel called The Trial of Prisoner 43. So this is, let's just set this up as a supposition. What would happen if George W. Bush were prosecuted for war crimes? So here's how the story goes. On a glorious autumn morning in St. Andrews, Scotland, former U.S. President George W. Bush approached the first tee of the world-famous old course to play a round of golf that he would not finish. Because in this novel, unceremoniously abducted off the course by a team of paramilitary commandos, he was transported to the International Criminal Court in Hague, to stand trial for war crimes in connection with the Iraq war. The ICC had spent one year accumulating sufficient evidence to indict George W. Bush as the single person most responsible for the war. Would he be found innocent or guilty? Or would something happen to disrupt the pursuit of justice? My guest is author of this novel, Terry Jastrow. He is a screenwriter, playwright, an Emmy award-winning producer and director of many major sports events, including six Olympic Games. He wrote the stage play, The Trial of Jane Fonda, nominated for Best New Play in London. And during this interview, he will be joined by his wife, Anne Archer, who was nominated for an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, and the, and the British Academy Award for her role as Michael Douglas's sympathetic tortured wife, Beth Gallagher, in The Thrill of Fatal Attraction. And she's well known for other Golden Globe performances and many other roles as well. Welcome, Terry. Yes, hi, Patricia. Hi. And welcome, Anne, when you come on with them. I'll still be in momentarily. All right. So let's... Um, you know, you are a successful playwright, screenwriter, Emmy Award-winning producer and director, and you're married to, you know, the Oscar-nominated Golden Globe-winning actress, Ann Archer. Why did you decide to write this novel, Terry? Because I love my country, and I think we fight uh, too many unnecessary wars, uh, and these, uh, these uh, wars are very damaging to, uh, obviously, people and property. And we spend a tremendous amount uh, of our treasury, which we should be using for education and eradicating poverty and reducing a huge debt. Uh, and it's a, very much an imbalance in our culture that we fight so many wars. To be sure, Patricia, nobody would say that all wars are unnecessary because that, of course, wouldn't be true. But some of them are, and I think too many of them are, and at the end of the day, the people have got to get engaged because we elect, we, it's our elected official, officials that 
wage these wars, and we have skin in the game if we don't oppose them when they're doing things that is against the will of the people. Mm, so you're basically, this is, a, this is a story from, again, from many years ago, but it's really kind of replicating some of the things that are happening now, and maybe a call to action for readers to pay attention. Yes, well, while, while the Iraq War uh, started in, uh, in, in March of 2003 and lasted for uh, eight years and nine months, uh, and the war, I think, uh, was over in 2011, but in international criminal law, uh, there are no statute of limitations, meaning that if a suspected criminal, um, uh, if, if a person becomes uh, suspected of a crime, he is subject to international criminal law until the day he dies. And oh. while this story is unlikely, it's not impossible. And the book is now kind of a step-by-step mechanism uh, by which this could happen. And finally, you know, George W. Bush is 71. So who's to say what would happen in the future and how long he'll live? Interesting. So you could really relate that to what's happening now with Russia, with what they're saying with uh, our involvement in Russia during the campaign. So because that's international, that could go on for the rest of Trump's life, correct? Yes, indeed. Uh, in, 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 in law, uh, the home courts uh, 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 in the nation uh, in which the, the perpetrator or suspected perpetrator lives always has first call, first right on, on judicial proceedings. But the International Criminal Court, thank God, uh, stands above all national courts when they are mm. unwilling or unable to bring a suspected criminals to trial. And that's what happens in this discourse, uh, the, uh, in this story. Uh, the United States uh, would have had the option to uh, bring uh, some legal activity against former President George W. Bush. It did not, uh, so the International Criminal Court uh, it then becomes responsible to do it, uh, and they, they would seek to get him at the International Criminal Court, uh, which is in The Hague, and put him on trial for war crimes. So there would be a prosecution team of attorneys that would try him, and he, as is uh, evidenced in the book, he would assemble his defense team, and the, the trial would begin. I think it's mm-hmm. important say, though, Patricia, if I might, that, that I tried very hard to advocate for both sides yes. aggressively and equally so the reader mm-hmm. would make up their mind for themselves with regard to guilt or innocence. So, so on that note, then, did your personal views ever inspire you to stack the deck for one point of view rather than the other? Absolutely not. I, I thought it was unfair. Really? First of all, I know George W. Bush. I, I played Little League Baseball against him when, when our fathers were uh, young, young oil men in Midland, Texas. When he was in, uh, a young oil guy, uh, oil man in, in Houston, I was at the University of Houston and saw him socially uh, occasionally. And then uh, I went to visit him in the governor's office in Austin, Texas, when he was the governor of, uh, of Texas. I've known him since we were boys, and, you know, he's a fun guy. He's, uh, I, I, I contributed to his uh, first uh, pr- uh, presidential uh, campaign and even voted for him. But this is not about popularity. This is about war and peace mm-hmm. and the sanctity of human life. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when presidents wage wars that, uh, uh, across the world in nations that do not represent a clear and present danger to the United States, 
then they have to be held accountable. Hmm. Now, Donald Trump is now president, as we know. And, you know, we'll have to inevitably make decisions about war and national security. What are the lessons that you think um, he could take from the experiences of George W. Bush? Well, I think, and by the way, we're not just dealing with George uh, W. Bush uh, uh, and the Iraq War, which is the focus of my book, but we could also uh, bring very much into question the Vietnam War, which was started Mm -hmm. by... President Nixon with this Gulf of Tonkin resolution, which is another story altogether. So America's had certain examples of unnecessary wars in its past. With regard to present time and, and Donald Trump, uh, and this question comes up a lot in these discussions, but the first thing is that uh, he needs to know that uh, uh, if he doesn't, that there is such a thing as, you know, international criminal law and the International Criminal Court because uh, uh, the, his lo- the local courts in the United States would have first responsibility uh, and opportunity to bring a- a- any potential criminal to trial. But if they do not, uh, then, uh, as mentioned, the International Criminal Court uh, stands above a national court's when they're unable or unwilling to bring suspected criminals. And he would find himself on trial at the International Criminal Court if he had committed uh, uh, crimes that people suspect breach international law. Mm. But, yet, but yet you mentioned that the International Criminal Court, but it's the United States is not a member of that, right? Yes, that- that, that's true. However, uh, uh, the, 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 the governing document uh, over international criminal law is something called the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. It was uh, actually uh, uh, created when 159 uh, countries, uh, very much including the United States, gathered in Rome and debated and discussed and agreed and drafted the Rome Statute, which is the governing body for international, the, the governing document for international criminal court, in in uh, uh, Article 12.3 of the, the Rome Statute, it provides that uh, uh, a citizen of a non-member state can be put on trial at the international criminal court uh, if one or two things should happen. And one such possibility is that another company, a country such as Iraq would yield its jurisdiction to the International Criminal Court, which mm. then would be permitted under international criminal law okay. to put George Bush on trial. Interesting. All right, last question before break, and this is an interesting one. One of the most contentious points of debate in the book is whether or not George W. Bush manipulated or lied about the intelligence reports that led to the Iraq war. But now we're living in this age of fake news and we have a president who's loose with the truth, urges us to distrust the media. You know, so is there a danger that Trump could manipulate intelligence to lead us into war? The answer is uh, people uh, are free uh, to some extent to state to say whatever they want. But at the beginning and at the end of the day, there is law. And, and mm-hmm. if, if, if he says something that percolates up a war which is determined to be illegal uh, under international criminal law, then he, has to, he will stand as responsible for what he has caused to happen. So there are a number of crimes identified in uh, crimes against 
crimes of aggression, war crimes that have to do with murder, t- torture uh, of prisoners, uh, destruction of, of, of uh, civi- a civilian property not related to war. There's a number of very specifically defined crimes. And should his actions lead to these crimes, and if it is not brought to uh, trial in the United States, then he most probably would be uh, tried on the International Criminal Court. Interesting. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is Terry Jastro. He's a screenwriter, playwright, and Emmy Award-winning producer and director of many major sports events. He wrote the stage play for The Trial of Jane Fonda, nominated for Best New Play in London. His book is The Trial of Prisoner 43, and it is a novel. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com. America's Voice. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're considering adoption, there are a lot of questions that you may have which need to be answered by families that have adopted, by the adoptees themselves, and by professionals. Tune in to Adoption Unscripted with your host, Micah Johnson. We bring you many of the answers you're looking for. There are so many resources and advocates in the field of adoption. It's a life-changing experience across the board. We hope you'll tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What is your purpose? In the journey that we call life, our values are pre-programmed into us before we're born. During our lives, we pick up life's lessons and soul connections along the way. We explore this path on Soul Sessions with Solstice, featuring hosts Delana Davis and Rita McRae. Our program is designed to help you more confidently live from your heart and not just your head. Tune in live for Soul Sessions with Solstice every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone. We are back, and we are talking to Terry Jastro, who is the author of the new novel, The Trial of Prisoner 043. And Terry Jastro is a screenwriter, playwright, Emmy Award-winning producer and director of many sports events, including six Olympic Games. He wrote the stage play, The Trial of Jane Fonda, nominated for Best New Play in London. And he is joined by his wife, Ann Archer, 
who was nominated for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe and the British Academy Award for her role as Michael Douglas's sympathetic, tortured wife, Beth Gallagher, in the 1987 thriller Fatal Attraction. She's also known for her poignant Golden Globe-winning performance in the ensemble cast of Shortcuts and many others. She's been, uh, uh, so many others. She was in Patriot's Game and Clear and Present Danger, and she was in The Trial of Jane Fonda. And Anne is the founder of Artists for Human Rights. So welcome, Anne. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Terry. Good, good. And we're going to ask Terry some more questions and then and certainly jump in. But we love to hear toward the end, you know, about the Artists for Human Rights because you're both very involved in this. All right. So back to the novel, Terry, about what would happen if George W. Bush were prosecuted for war crimes. And you present in this novel those arguments of will he be found innocent or guilty once the tribunal uh, is presenting their case. And then you let the readers decide that, correct, at the end? Yes, I tried to, as I mentioned, I tried to advocate very aggressively, but equally for both sides, allowing the reader a chance to make up uh, their mind for themselves with regard to guilt or innocence. All right. So governments across the world, including our own new Republican administration, you know, we're challenging the jurisdiction of international courts over sovereign countries and leaders. Now, in your novel, George W. Bush is the first head of a major nation who's subjected to international law before the International Criminal Court. So why should international courts have the authority to try our nation's leaders, and does this put our own country, American sovereignty, at risk? Well, uh, first of all, the International Criminal Court came of force in July of 2002, and uh, the Iraq War, waged by George W. Bush, began in March of 2003. So he becomes the first leader of a superpower subject to international criminal court, criminal law at the International Criminal Court. And no, I, do, I don't think that, uh, that, it, that it demeans or diminishes uh, the, the national court at all, uh, the courts in the United States at all. But inasmuch as it's true that uh, a person is a citizen of their country, they're also citizens of the world. George W. Bush was not only just a citizen of the United States, but he was a member of, of, of the world's population. And if, if he did something that was considered to be criminal in the eyes of international criminal court, he should be uh, held accountable for it. Mm-hmm. And do you have any comments about that? Anything you want to add? Well, the one thing is uh, the United States was very involved in creating uh, the laws that are a part, the statutes that are a part of the International Criminal Court. So, uh, I mean, we, we probably played the biggest role initially in creating what those statutes were. Um, also, it came about because after World War II, those who perpetrated it uh, in the German regime needed to be held accountable, and that's what the Nuremberg trials were all about. Mm-hmm. The world mm-hmm. quickly realized we needed international law to deal with uh, states that uh, have wars of aggression against other uh, peoples on this earth, and that's why it came about in the first place. Hmm. That brings me to this question then. Do you think that the United States, and this is both for Terry and Anne, have a moral obligation to impose democracy on cultures whose traditions do not support it? 
I absolutely to think that it does not. Uh, it's just as we experienced uh, when the United States uh, uh, in, 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 in the Vietnam War, when they tried to change uh, the position of N North Vietnam, and even uh, in the Iraq War. Uh, I mean, originally the pretext was uh, that Saddam was involved with 9-11, which he was not. Then the pretext was that he had weapons of mass destruction, which was proven time and again and again that he had not. And then the pretext was that George W. Bush wanted to introduce democracy as a way of government into Iraq. Listen, the United States should allow other peoples to have whatever form of government they want. They're entitled to it, and, and there's no reason that the United States should suggest or, or mandate uh, how, people, how people wish to govern themselves. I actually, that makes sense to me. I agree with that. Now, in the book, George W. Bush claims that going to war against Iraq was necessary to strengthen the security of our country. But people would argue that point. And, and so the question is, is there anything that can be done to prevent a president from waging war? And that's a question I think that's relevant to right now today. Yes, well, uh, listen, there is a very clear mandate required by U.S. law uh, that, that only Congress can grant war powers to the president. And, and the stipulation is that the situation uh, presents a clear and present danger to America, Americans, or America's friends. And when that was, despite all the rhetoric and dis despite all the, the uh, uh, maneuvering, if there is not such a clear and present danger, then presidents should not be granted war powers to fight what potentially could be illegal wars. Mm, interesting. Anne, do you want to comment on that? Uh, no, I think uh, Terry said it quite well. Uh, you know, also the International Criminal Court has a very specific wording about what constitutes uh, war crimes, wars of aggression, and uh, obviously Terry's book addresses those specific uh, laws, and that's why the book is possible, and that's why this argument is presented in the first place, because... Uh, you know, as he argues very well, uh, that war in Iraq falls uh, under the category of an illegal war per the International Criminal Court. Yeah, and Patricia, I think it might be worth yeah. saying that the, the, the reason I wrote this book, uh, you know, I, 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 I really love uh, my country. I'm, I, I'm, a dis, I'm a descendant of the second president of the United States, John Adams. I was born really? in and raised and, 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 and educated mm -hmm. in Texas. I'm, I'm, I'm basically as American as they come. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just feel that, that we fight too many wars, not just the United mm -hmm. States, but elsewhere. Um, and, and I wrote this book because I, want, I think that the only way that it can be controlled and monitored and ultimately stopped is by, uh, by an informed and engaged citizenry. The voice of the people, the power of the people. People elect government officials. We should have domain and say over to them. And if government officials do not do the will of the people, they need to be accountable for that. So I'm basically trying to inform and engage uh, people to pay attention to these things and know that ultimately they have the power and they're responsible for what their country does. 
That's, that's right. why I started to do this, and I hope well, the book, to some extent, accomplishes it. And that's very important, but there are so many people who are discouraged, Terry, who say, my voice doesn't matter. You know, even if I write a letter to my congressman, it doesn't matter. We know it does, but I, I think this is important because so many people are apathetic. Yes, but then, it, then there's a power in, 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 the, in the volume of communication. The people need to band together. And, 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 it's, and it shouldn't be so much about whether a person's a Democrat or a Republican. It's about us being Americans. And been finding out what is, you know, America is about great things. We were established for all the right reasons, and we should be a beacon of light and hope and freedom and well-being and brotherly love. Mm-hmm. And we tumbled from that. And uh, that was the will of our, of our, of our founding fathers. When, Je- when Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He had to be talking about all the peoples because of, of the world because everybody in America at that time was an immigrant. Everybody came from some other place other than Native Americans. So we have to get back to the core values that America was founded on in the first place. Mm, beautifully said. All right, and on that note, I'm going to switch to Anne. Anne, and, you know, with all of this passion for our country, you are the founder of an organization called Artists for Human Rights. Talk yes. about that and how that ties into all of this and what Terry just said. Uh, well, I think um, I have, I've always had a passion for human rights issues. Um, never uh, could stand injustice. Um, my, I remember my grandmother had an enormous influence on me. Uh, in speaking the truth and standing for principle and being fair and just. And so that lives And as uh, I watched the events of the world unfold, I felt that the work I wanted to do when I wasn't acting would be human rights work. And I felt that the artist can actually communicate uh, almost better than anyone uh, the message of human rights. Uh, you know, a film uh, about an issue or a prejudice can change hearts and minds overnight. So, uh, people that you hated or couldn't stand, you can see an interesting film about their situation and who they are, and it can change your viewpoint. Uh, a song can change a viewpoint, a book, uh, art. Uh, artists really do create the culture, and so I felt that artists were not speaking out about human rights enough, that we need to stand up for them without being political, but uh, issues that we care deeply about, we need to tell those stories and tell them well. And so that was the concept of forming artists for human rights and utilizing the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as the document uh, that we at Artists for Human Rights want to uh, raise awareness about, have greater awareness of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I think you're seeing that in last year's Oscar-nominated films. I yes. mean, Moonlight, Moonlight is a perfect example of that, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And there have been many films that have uh, shown the light on human rights abuses. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, we, we have a history of doing that well, and we need to continue to do that. And I want artists to care more about it and yeah. become more passionate about it. So we Wonderful. work with artists and uh and other organizations, human rights organizations, together we try and get artists 
uh, activated to work with other organizations to speak out about human rights, to know the issues well, and to do something about them. Closing thoughts? Um, I'll start with Terry. Terry, about your wonderful new novel, The Trial of Prisoner 043. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? Uh, well, uh, first of all, I wanted to, I wanted to make it uh, interesting and entertaining. Uh, uh, I thought uh, it, it, the only way this was going to be a success uh, from, from what I wanted to try to do and my hopes were, was to make it a really interesting read. Uh, and and I'm, I'm comfortable. I've done a fairly good job about that. The early reviews have been terrific, I'm very happy to say. Uh, but in the process of the read, uh, I, I think there's information that needs to be understood. Uh, while this is f- fiction, while this is a novel, it is, I nonetheless use uh, nonfiction, very real things to, 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 to tell my story. So uh, everything in there that relates to, to law is completely accurate. I, I engaged uh, international criminal law experts in both the United States uh, and the United Kingdom uh, to vet this book. And they, after reading the final draft, uh, identified and, and stated that it was word perfect with regard to international criminal law. So while uh, uh, it's informative and hopefully entertaining, I want, I want to put the, the, the thought in people's minds that they have a say, they have some responsibility in the activity of their elected officials, and I want people to become engaged in the process. Thank you. And, we, and if you can give us like a soundbite, <laughs> a soundbite of a closing thought. Uh, well, I think, number one, uh, the trial of prisoner 043 is a page-turner. It's a terrifically well-written novel. It is a fascinating read, and I hope that it will cause the American public to think more, to, to pay more attention, to educate themselves on the issues more, rather than have just black-and-white opinions about things based on a, a soundbite. Yes, and become more aware of the existence of the of international criminal law and the importance of the international criminal court because I think it's critically important for humanity that we support it, that it thrives, that it's well and functions as it was intended to function. All right. Thank you so much for being on the program. Terry Jastro, author of The Trial, Trial of Prisoner 043, who is a screenwriter, playwright, Emmy Award-winning producer, and his wife, Ann Archer, who was nominated for an Academy Award and many other awards. And so thank you both for being on the program. Thanks so much. Our pleasure. Have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. Just, just hold, on, hold on for a second. Okay, we'll be right with you. Hold on a second. All right, folks, we'll be right back right here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin for The Patricia Raskin Show. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.